Amen. Good morning, church. I am not ashamed to say, yep, I tripped. Amen. I misjudged by a half an inch that last step. Y'all, I am supercalifragilisticexpialidociously excited to be with y'all this morning. Amen. Amen. Now listen, that was good for me and my ego, but can we give Jesus the greatest hand clap of praise that we can muster for our King and our Lord, hallelujah. Oh my goodness, I'm, I'm so excited to uh, be here. And I, I just wanna acknowledge, it's been a blessing um, being with uh, the men of this church uh, this weekend. Um, I'm going to let them tell it. I was the preacher, so I'm going to treat it like Vegas. What was said there stays with me. Amen. I'll, I'll let them share about it, but we had a good time. And, and what an honor and a privilege it is to be with you all today. I want to thank um, my spiritual brother, Carlton Coleman, uh, for inviting me out to the men's retreat. I was humbled and honored. And then um, to the current angel of this house, Pastor Nicole Bullock, um, extending the invitation for me to come and share with y'all Sunday. Uh, can we just give God praise for your pastor? I thank God for her so much. And uh, give God praise uh, for her. Um, this church, as you may have heard, for some of you who don't know me, if you've been here nine years or less, um, you may not have known me, but my family and I were here between 2010 and 2013. Um, if I could be honest, um, I even heard a powerful testimony from Janet, who y'all didn't tell me she could sing. You know, there's a difference between people who can sing and who can sing. It's a difference. There's a difference between the I and the A. Amen. Janet, you can sing. Wherever you at, Janet, Lord have mercy. But uh, she, she shared a testimony about how this church has been a blessing to her. That, that kind of reminded me of that. And I think sometimes when you're a part of something that God is doing, uh, you could take it for granted if you're in it for too long. And uh, my family and I, we came to this church uh, deeply burnt out from church and ministry. And I was starting seminary um, at, at North Park Theological Seminary. And um, from the worship um, to the preaching, I received some of the best discipleship of my life under Pastor Peter Hong. Uh, during those years. And so I just want to honor uh, the founder of this church in this space as well. But I am just grateful. I just want to encourage you all. The, the DNA and the culture of this church is something we took to us, to, took with us uh, to Seattle. And so I just want to give God honor um, to this house and to this church. Um, and, and, and all the great things that God has done, isn't it crazy to know that I still have not seen? nor ear heard, nor has it entered into the heart of humanity the things that God has yet prepared for you. And so I'm just encouraged uh, by this ministry. Um, before we jump in, I do want to just acknowledge, I want to echo and reiterate and encourage everyone uh, to come out to the book launch this evening. Uh, my sister, my hero, Michelle Sanchez, come on somebody. What prophetic poignant timing for this release. I'm, I'm super excited to get my hands on it and I'm going to claim boldly. It's on camera so we got proof. I'm excited to not only read it but to have our entire church, our youth, and our children make it a part of our curriculum. And uh, speaking of books, amen somebody. 
I, I got permission or was strongly invited to do this. Uh, but in the pandemic, other than trying to pastor a church to the best of my ability, I also gave birth to my first book, which I'm super excited about. Um, I wrote it with my brother and mentor, the Reverend Dr. John Teeter. And uh, we wanted to, uh, the Lord had put it on our heart to write something that would uh, specifically target uh, sports enthusiasts and student athletes. And so we wrote a book called Jesus, Michael, and Mamba. And it is a book for sneakerheads and lovers of basketball. Anybody who loved basketball in the building, amen. Anybody remember in the 90s, those were the years Jesus was with Chicago. Praise the Lord. Amen. And um, we're really excited about it. Um, and I have, thanks to the man, I only have 15 copies left. Uh, so they are available to you uh, after church. I will briskly, after the benediction, make my way to the welcome table. And uh, I strongly want to ask you, please let me go back home with my luggage a little lighter. Amen. And so uh, I want to encourage you to uh, consider supporting this and picking this up. Amen. As the deer panted for the water, so my soul longeth after thee. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. strength, my shield, to you alone does my spirit yield. You alone are my heart's desire, and I long to worship thee. Gracious God, we confess, better is one day in your courts than thousands elsewhere. Give us a deep desire for your word this morning. Speak to us, Holy Spirit. Lord, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be both acceptable and pleasing in thy sight. Oh, Lord, my rock and my Redeemer. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. And the church said amen and amen. I would strongly recommend you join me in the Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 14, to set the tone for our time today. The Gospel of Matthew, chapter number 14. We're going to look at verses 22 through 33. I do feel like I'm at home, even though it's been a minute, so I hope you will indulge me to preach like I'm at home. Uh, amen. Um, you may not know this, but I've been black all my life. And so I, I definitely resonate with call and response. So if you hear something that remotely felt good to your spirit, it's okay to say amen. It's okay to say, say that preacher, whatever you got, just give it to me. Even if it's a good old Swedish, mm, give it to me. I take it all. Praise Jesus. Matthew chapter 14, 
Um, and I'm sure you could follow along on the screen. The Bible says immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, he was there alone. And the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. That's right. That's what your Bible said. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It is a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's me, y'all. Stop tripping. I'm paraphrasing. He said, take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. You know somebody's like, that's not what it says. Verse 28, Lord, if it is you, Peter replied. I like to say Peter's from the south side. He hood. Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, he said. Then Peter got down out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, there's that word again, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? And when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. As Carlton aforementioned, I want to talk simply from the subject, why did you doubt? You all, this is a very poignant question. And to set the tone for our time today, if you actually take time, Michelle, and think about it, Jesus particularly, when we look at his earthly life and ministry, if you think about it, he asked some pretty profound questions. Because I believe, I don't know about you, but I believe you can actually learn a lot about a person, the level of their intelligence, and what's important to them based on the kind of questions they ask. So if we think about it, just in that kind of context, think about some of the questions Jesus asked during his earthly ministry. Questions like, if you love those who love you, what reward will you get? He's like, if you love people that think your way, sound like you, vote like you, uh uh-oh. Jesus is like, what's the big deal? If you love those who love you, what reward will you get? Other questions like, do you believe I am able to do this? One of my favorite questions by Jesus is, why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your neighbor's eye, but ignore the big old two by four in your own? Another good question. I know what other people say, but who do you say that I am? And then arguably, probably one of the most profound questions is, what good is it for a whole person to gain the whole world and forfeit your own soul? 
Now, new community, this is Jesus right now. This being Jesus, let's not get it twisted. He's not actually asking these questions because he doesn't know the answer. How many of y'all know, if I got any educators in the building, how many of y'all know that for a teacher, this is a master tool to use questions to invoke learning to their student or pupil? Am I right about that? So also, what I love about Jesus, at the end of the day, regardless of the motive or the reason, one of the things that I love about Jesus's questions is that it encourages me that if Jesus can ask questions, then maybe I can bring my own questions about this life to Jesus. And I believe that when we look at Jesus's questions, I believe we will actually gain some life-changing answers. And so my assignment today is really to both encourage and challenge you, church. So the subject of my sermon comes in the form of this question because I believe it's a profound question that Jesus asked Peter. And I believe in 2022, Jesus is still asking this same question to the church today. And that is why did you doubt? I want to encourage us in that what, we, what I want us to see from this passage at its core, is that it deals with knowing the true identity of Jesus. Because knowing who Jesus really is and who we are privileged to be in Jesus will drastically change how we react to the winds and the waves and the storms of this life. Furthermore, Carlton, I believe when we see just how big Jesus is, we will recognize just how small we are and why we are to be completely dependent upon him. Can I get an amen? So Matthew 14, verse 22, again, the Bible says, immediately Jesus made the disciples get into the boat and go on ahead of him to the other side while he dismissed the crowd. After he had dismissed them, he went up on a mountainside by himself to pray. Later that night, the Bible says he was left alone. Now, one of the things we have to understand at the start of Matthew 14, some very stark and sobering things have taken place. At the start of Matthew chapter 14, it starts with the murder of John the Baptist. Jesus hears about it and attempts to find a quiet place to pray. But that plan is unfortunately placed on hold as Jesus finds himself in the midst of this large crowd, over 5,000 people. He begins to heal them. He miraculously feeds them after the church service. And it's so interesting. They had this great time. Jesus has preached the word. He has healed people. Now the Bible says that they are hungry. The disciples wanted to send them away. I love how Jesus looked back at them and said, are you crazy? You give them something to eat. Isn't it amazing how God will empower us to do things that we think we can't do on on our own. He said, no, you give them something to eat. What should also let us know that it's not just the job of the church to preach you real good and to arouse your academic intelligence. The church is to be the hands and feet of Jesus. Come on, somebody. So our passage starts with Jesus doing three things at the same time. He's sending his disciples to go ahead of him and crossing the sea. He's dismissing the crowd and is attempting to continue what he tried to start, and that's get some prayer time by himself. Now, one of the first things, I don't mean to nerd out on you, but I, I got to nerd out a little bit. I, I want us to understand that there's a difference in the fact that he sends his disciples away 
but he dismisses the crowd. You know, there's a difference between sending and dismissing. He, he sends his disciples ahead of him, but he dismisses the crowd. We don't understand why he's dismissing the crowd here in Matthew 14, but if we look at the same account in John chapter uh, 4, we get the reason why Jesus sends his disciples away and dismisses the crowd. What happened, PMT? I'm so glad you asked. Y'all an inquisitive crowd. What happened is Jesus got through feeding the people miraculously. The crowds say, oh my goodness, this is our new king. And the Bible says in John chapter 4, they had planned to take Jesus by force and make him their new king. They were trying to have a holy insurrection. We found our leader. Let's make him our king. And you all, I don't think it's a coincidence that this crowd was dismissed. Watch this, people who wanted to make Jesus what they wanted him to be versus simply following Jesus and allowing him to make them disciples what Jesus wants us all to be. Now, before you judge this crowd a little too harshly, let me confess, I don't know about you, but I've been like this crowd. Wanting to make Jesus fit my agenda. Wanting to make Jesus fit my definition and expectations of what I want Jesus to be instead of just humbling myself, following Jesus, and let him transform me. If I could be honest with you, like this crowd, there are those of you today who want Jesus to fit your definition and your timeline for justice. Some of us here today, we want Jesus to fit our definition and our timeline of how we want to see our life goals unfold. Some of us here today want to see Jesus fit our definition and our timeline for how I want my family to look and be. And some of us, and I think very poignant for this day and time, want Jesus to fit our definition and timeline for what my church should look like. Church, the reality is Jesus isn't the one who needs to change. It's me who needs to see him more clearly and know that he is the one who can change me for the better. Can I get an amen? So I have, I have three things I want us to see in this passage, and I will be out of your hair, especially since I don't have any. Amen. But if you're taking those, the first thing I want you to see as we try to answer this question, why do we doubt, is number one, we doubt because of misplaced security. We doubt because of misplaced security. Verse number 24, the Bible says, and the boat was already a considerable distance from land, buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. You all, the disciples Let's be honest and let's have clarity. The disciples had full confidence in their ability to sail and they had confidence in the boat, what they could control to keep them safe. Isn't that interesting? It's interesting that they find themselves in a situation in which it overwhelmed, watch this, their abilities and it overwhelmed the boat that they put their confidence in. The Bible informs us that they were being buffeted. I love that word. I really get to use it in a sentence. They were buffeted 
by the winds and the waves. Now, buffeted in the Greek language literally means here to be distressed, to be distressed. That's powerful language. It's the same word, watch this, used to describe people in Matthew 4, 24, that the Bible says were buffeted. What was happened to them? They were being attacked by demons. They were being distressed. The text is literally saying that the boat is in such a situation, it is being distressed as if it's being tormented by demons. On top of that, if that wasn't worse, they aren't in the best place for this to happen. As the Bible says, they were a considerable distance from land. This reminds me of the, the time when I was teaching our youngest son how to swim. Gideon, who's 16 now and taller than me, y'all pray for my short man ego. Oh, Lord. But when Gideon was five, I was trying to teach him how to swim, and we were in a pool, and I was teaching him how to do the, uh, the strokes and the swim strokes and how to breathe and the whole nine yards, and it was so funny. He was like, Daddy, I think I got it, but he had one hand on the ledge of the pool. He's like, see, I'm doing it. I can do it. <laughs> in his small mind, his thinking was, I want to do this, but I don't want to let go of control. I, I want to be out here, but I still want to control it just in case this thing don't go. Yeah. Is there anybody else tracking with my child? Yeah. Oh my goodness. But here they are, they're both being buffeted by the waves and they are well far from the shore and from the ledge. They have no control. Anybody ever felt like it was one thing to have a problem, but now you in the middle of it, you can't leave? Ooh. Disciples Church doubt when we have misplaced security and the things that ultimately will prove they are not secure. And Jesus, listen to me clearly, Jesus wanted to teach them who their security should exclusively rely in because Jesus will sometimes in our lives lead us far away from what we think is stable so that we can discover that he alone is our stability. I am preaching better than y'all are responding. No wonder the old church used to sing, on Christ, the solid rock I stand. Why? Because all other ground is sinking sand. Church, this situation also proves that the wrong way to measure God's will for our lives is if where he leads us will remain comfortable, will remain safe, will remain convenient. Honest moment, we prefer the measurements of comfortability safety and convenience because it allows me to trust more in me than in God. That's okay. Just keep looking at me. Won't nobody know I'm talking about you. Verse 25, the Bible says, shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. Now, I don't know about you, but what I love about Jesus in this moment, isn't it good news to know that in your darkest, most unstable moment, that's when Jesus comes in authority, walking on the very thing that's causing you to be afraid. Hallelujah. We doubt because of misplaced security. But not only do we doubt because of misplaced security, number two, we doubt because of mistaken identity. 
Verse 26, the Bible says when the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. Duh. It is a ghost, they said. They cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage, it is I. Don't be afraid. Lord, if it's you, Peter replied, tell me to come to you on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. We doubt because of mistaken identity. In the midst of a lot of the elements at work here, can you imagine? I want you to just join me in the theater of my mind. Can you imagine? It's in the middle of the night. It's wet. It's cold. They're exhausted. The thing that Matthew is trying to elaborately like, like, like an Oscar-nominated director, what Matthew is trying to get us to see here, he wants us to feel and appreciate the weight of their fear. Because it's fear, church, it's fear that has a way of blinding us to the reality that Jesus is with us. Because of fear, watch this, instead of recognizing Jesus, they attributed to Jesus the wrong identity and thought he was some ghost. And I hate to break it to you, and we ain't talking about Casper here. Y'all remember Casper the friendly ghost? Come on, somebody. (laughs) Casper the friendly ghost. Let me just say shout out sideways. I'm praying for everybody under the age of 35. You don't know real cartoons. You didn't grow up with good cartoons. I'm praying for you. Casper was a, come on, I know I will get one real clap from somebody over 35. We used to get them good cartoons. Come on, somebody. Them them politically incorrect cartoons. (laughs) All y'all stuff so PC now, y'all ain't got no real cartoon. But we ain't talking about Casper. They they thought it was a real ghost. Now, um, proper study of the text and proper study of the culture, cultural realities that, that this text is set in, it was well known for the Jewish people at this time. There was a real folklore that talked about demonic spirits hovering over waters. This wasn't just some, oh man, we, we think it's a ghost. They was like, oh my God, the stories Nana told us was true. So they was freaking out. It was like, this is a ghost. And fear caused them to miss Jesus. Can I ask you a question? How are you missing Jesus in your life in this season? Because of fear. The disciples doubted, became overwhelmed in the midst of the situation because of mistaken identity. They thought Jesus was a ghost, meaning they couldn't see that Jesus was with them in the midst of the storm. Jesus tells them, take courage. And you all, this should inspire us that no matter what, Jesus is inspiring us to take courage because he is present. Now, I don't know about you. All of this is, I'm tracking with it, but I don't know about you. When I started studying this passage, I did think, so why in the world did Peter ask Jesus, hey, God, if it's you, Bid me to come to you. Now, is there anybody, I know y'all want to act spiritual Sunday morning, you're in church. But can you be honest and be like, that don't make any sense to me. I don't think I would have asked that. Especially if I'm scared. I think it's a ghost. It's nighttime. We're about to drown. What is up with Peter? Why does he make this crazy request? It is because Peter had a previous experience with Jesus 
in which he knew that if this in fact was Jesus, that only Jesus could call him to do the impossible. Pastor Mike, what do you mean? Go back to Matthew chapter 4. Jesus is recruiting his disciples. Peter, the rest of them, watch this. They're not fishing for fun like some of us do. This is their business. They're small business owners. Watch this. Fishing is their security. Fishing is what they know and I can control. Fishing is what keeps me stable and comfortable. Fishing gives me a little dignity in the community. Jesus comes up. Jesus doesn't preach. Jesus doesn't hoop and holler. I wish I knew how to hoop. I like hooping. I, I do a plan around, but you know, it ain't, it, ain't, it ain't me, but I like it. I'm sorry, but I digress. Um, Jesus comes up, no sermon. No, hey, you know I'm the son of God. Watch this. Jesus just says, follow me. The Bible says, and they exit stage left. They immediately dropped their security. They immediately dropped what kept them stable. They immediately dropped what they could control and follow after him. Why do I bring that up? Peter remembered that was the only time in my life when I met the real God, he called me to do something that everything in my being said you shouldn't do it, and I was compelled to do it. Sidebar, this is why you have to taste and see that the Lord is good. This is why you have to have a personal relationship with Jesus yourself. He says, Lord, if it's you, do it again. Call me to do the impossible. Dietrich Bonhoeffer, one of my favorite theologians, had this to say about Peter in this moment. It's on the screen. I want you to see this quote. Dietrich Bonhoeffer said, Peter had to leave the ship and risk his life on the sea in order to learn both his own weakness and the almighty power of the Lord. Church, it's amazing how sometimes we learn the identity of God in the midst of a storm because we experience how only God can uniquely keep me while I'm going through the storm. Can I just tell somebody, I don't know who this is for, but I need somebody to hear right now, the storm that you're in, you are going through it. It is not your permanent address. You're going through. It is not, in the name of Jesus, your permanent address. You are going through a season. Stand still, take courage, know that it is not Casper, it is not some deadly ghost. The Lord is with you. We doubt because of mistaken identity. But then lastly, we doubt because of misguided focus. Misguided focus. Verse 30. But when he saw the wind, this is Peter, when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Immediately, Jesus reached out his hand and caught him. You of little faith, he said, why did you doubt? Doesn't Jesus sound like a loving parent in that moment? Like, did you actually forget who I am? Why did you doubt? It's almost like Jesus was insulted a little bit, like his feelings was hurt. 
Like, have I not been there for you? I don't know who this is for, but I feel like the Lord is saying to somebody, have I not been there for you before? Do you think, you, you actually think what you're going through has God in heaven and scratching his head saying, oh, I didn't see this coming. So as ridiculous that is, but some of us react like that's true. Why did you doubt? The word doubt here in the Greek language literally means twice or two. It is, it is a numeric term. The image is of a person pulled in two different ways. Peter, like us, was doing so great, right, when he kept his focus on Jesus. Isn't it interesting? The more he kept his eyes on Jesus, he was able to do the impossible. But he sunk as soon as he focused on the situation more than his Savior. Mm. I don't know who this is for, but somebody today, you're sinking because you're looking at the situation more than the Savior. But Peter prays what I like to call a real prayer. He doesn't, now the church I grew up in, the old super black Baptist church. Michelle, uh, church started at 11. You got out at three o'clock on Tuesday. (laughs) Started on 11 on Sunday morning. You about about to lose your job messing with Reverend. Some of y'all just had a panic attack. They oh my God. But before 11, for that previous hours, the deacons would be praying. Heavenly Father, we come to you standing in the need of prayer. Uh, just going in, just going in. All the, all the preliminaries. <laughs> what I love about Peter, he didn't pray like the old deacon. He, he didn't come with all the iotas of Greek or the ruachs of Hebrew. He didn't come and say, oh, God, creator of heaven and earth, the one who leads me to green pastures. No, sometimes when Satan is knocking you upside your head, all you got is three words, Lord, save me. Oh, my goodness. He prays a real prayer. His honesty, church, and his vulnerability is palpable. Another honest moment, when you and I find ourselves sinking, can we be honest about it or will we pretend like we're not drowning and in need of saving because you're trying to save face in front of other people who is drowning as much as you are? Church, I think there's an unavoidable theme, a warning for us to learn from in the connection between Peter's sinking and when his focus was on the things of this world more than on Jesus. But here's the good news, family. We can be assured that on this journey of pursuing Jesus, that even when we stumble, if we cry out, how many of y'all know it's good news to know that God will immediately come grab you and save you? Hallelujah. You don't believe me. It says in Psalms 18, verse 16, it's on the screen. Psalm 18 and 16, look what the word says. He reached down from on high and took hold of me. He drew me out of deep waters. Can I just pause right here and just ask anybody, aren't you glad that he drew you out of deep waters? Here's what's so dope. None of us know the deep waters you've been into because that's God's grace over your life. We can look at you and not know how much you were sinking. 
But don't you ever lose your gratitude about the God who reached down from on high, took hold of you, and drew you out of deep waters. Peter in this moment now knows Jesus is the only stability that he needs. And it is in the courage to pursue Jesus that he will enable us to walk over the storms of this life that look to overwhelm us. Our passage concludes, verse 32, and when they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. They, Peter and Jesus, got into the boat together. The Bible says the wind died down. Proper translation of the wind died down, it says the wind grew weary. (laughs) It's like the wind was fighting Jesus in a wrestling match, and the wind is like, uncle, uncle, I I, I quit, I quit. (laughs) What a mighty God we serve. The wind is like, oh, I know I was going to fight Jesus, never mind, I, I quit. I quit. <laughs> Matthew 14, the winds died down. Then those who were in the boat worshiped him saying, truly, you are the son of God. Last encouragement I want to give you, and Sarah, we can prepare to shift gears. Jesus, listen to this, it's on the screen. Jesus will use your salvation to strengthen others. The Bible says after Peter got delivered, when they got back in the boat, then the others said, truly, you are the son of God. Isn't it interesting that sometimes that God will use your testimony to encourage them and strengthen them? Everyone won't have the courage to pursue Jesus in the midst of the storm. Don't miss that. The boat was with every disciple, but only one went deeper. Everyone won't have the courage to pursue Jesus in the midst of the storm. But when they see God through your experience, they will find faith and worship God also. Church, we can be encouraged today that no matter the storm, no matter the winds and the waves that we will face in this life, if we keep our focus on Jesus, if we make sure that he alone is our security, he will enable us to make it through the storm. And church, this is the power of that beautiful image right there. This is the power of the cross, that when we truly see Christ's identity through the cross, that in the roughest storms of our lives, the storm of bondage to sin and failure, that on the cross it expresses Jesus reaching out and grabbing us out of the sea of our own sin that we are sinking in. And like Peter and these disciples, there is no other response but to worship Jesus. God, we love you. God, we are so grateful that even when we take our eyes off of you, your grace is sufficient. You're still reaching out to your daughters and sons when we take our eyes off of you. And we still have the confidence of knowing when we cry out to Abba Father, you will grab us immediately and bring us out of deep waters.
So Lord, as we face times of uncertainty, as we face struggles and trials and situations that seem beyond our control, when our lives itself feel like it is being buffeted by the winds and the waves, we are still yet saying, God bid me to come follow you even in the midst of it. Call me to walk on the thing that looks to overwhelm me because my eyes are fixed on you. We love you and adore you in Jesus' name. Amen.